Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwall Report. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Brothers and sisters, Satsri Kal. Today's show is really a mixed bag of emotions because when this story reached my office, I didn't quite know from which angle I should approach it. In essence, it's about an American Sikh trying to join the U.S. Army, but he was initially prevented from doing so because he wears a turban out of respect for his religion. He had to sue the U.S. Army in order to defend his country and defend his faith. He gives us many reasons to be inspired. He gives us many reasons to celebrate. But if you step back and take another look, what he had to go through was not inspiring. His success comes from a system that still fails us. His joy comes from a state of affairs that is still sad. While everyone celebrates his victory, the underlying problems still exist. This is a story of a battle that has been won, but where the war still rages on. Apparently for turban-wearing Sikhs, it seems the military's requirements are that you have to choose God or country. You cannot choose both unless you're willing to wait or willing to sue or both. And here's another strange observation. The army allows tattoos, but they take time out for turbans. Interesting, right? Self-expression is allowed, but self-identification is a cause for deliberation. Hmm. In that case, we don't really live in the land of the free. It seems the word diversity is not a backbone to our methodology, but more of a punchline that sounds great at a conference or a boardroom meeting. So before I introduce my two guests, let me put things into perspective about the role of Sikhs in the history of the armies around the world. During World War I, Sikh battalions fought in Egypt, Palestine, Mesopotamia, Gallipoli, and France. They became known as the Lions of the Great War. In World War II, Sikh units of the Indian and Commonwealth forces served under Allied command in cooperation with American forces and earned a reputation for bravery, serving against the Germans and Italians in East Africa, North Africa, Italy, France, Western Europe, and against the Japanese in the China-Burma-India War. To sum it up, over 80,000 turban-wearing Sikhs were killed and over 100,000 wounded fighting for the British Empire. In fact, the British Army today are planning to create a Sikh regiment. In America, that would not be possible because we only have three turban-wearing Sikhs in our military. Not 300, not 3,000, just three. Obviously, something is not quite right. My first guest is Iknur Singh, a 20-year-old student at Hofstra University. He wanted to serve his country and tried to enlist in his college army's ROTC program, but was rejected due to the practices required by his faith. Welcome to the show, Iknur. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Sashikal Bhatia, just hold it right there. All My right. second guest is Anisha Singh, and she really is the unsung hero in this whole battle. She served as co-counsel alongside the ACLU's attorneys for Iknu's case and focuses on human and civil rights. It only goes to prove that if you have a woman and a lawyer all in one, then you're bound to lose, even if you are the U.S. Army. Welcome to the show, Anisha. Thank you so much for having me, Vip. You know, I tell my wife that behind every successful man is a lucky woman, and you know what she tells me? What's that? Every lucky woman, behind every lucky woman, is an amazing attorney. <laughs> and that's why I have to behave myself. <laughs> hey, Iknur, let's start with you. For, sure. for our listeners, tell us who is a Sikh and what is Sikhism? Sure. So uh, Sikhism is, uh, you know, the fifth largest religion in the world. It's, uh, it was founded in the 15, or 1500s um, by Guru Nanak Dev Ji. And, um, you know, it's, it's flourished after that. And, you know, one of the major misconceptions about uh, Sikhism is that it's a branch of Hinduism or Islam, which is not. 
the case. Mm. And, um, you know, one of the main things we uh, preach are equality between men and women. So, you know, if you ever go to a Gurdwara, um, men and women, you know, sit on the same floor. It uh, preaches equality. It's, it's a symbolism of equality. And uh, one of the major um, aspects of Sikhi is uh, seva, which is selfless service. So this can happen in various ways. You know, you can go to a Gurdwara, uh, which is a Sikh house hold of worship, and uh, do seva over there. Or you can, you know, go to a kitchen house or a soup kitchen and, and do seva for homeless people, whatever the case may be. And, you know, one of the major things of Sikhism is that when it was first um, founded in the 1500s, uh, one of the two major religions at the time in the, in the area were Islam and Hinduism. And um, they always tried to convert Sikhs into, you know, Hindu, Hinduism or Islam. But, uh, you know, after much peaceful talks, it didn't work out. So, you know, Sikhs had to kind of mold their religion into a warrior uh, breed, and you know we we've um, have we've been fighting with the we, we, we well we fought with the Mughals for a very long time, and you know we that's where our warrior blood came from, and you know we've been flourishing since. Now Sikhism is full of symbols, right? Yeah, the true. What are the main symbols that people can identify with, and what do they, uh, what do they stand for? Sure. So one of the main uh, symbols are the turban that which uh, you know Sikh males wear. And um, hair, that hair symbolizes, um, you know, a gift from God. So, you know, why should we cut it? And uh, the other one is, is our beard, which is, you know, also coincides with the with the hair and not cutting it. And um, our our turban essentially symbolizes our our faith to our nation, our 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 religion, essentially. And you mm-hmm. know, I think we can learn a lot from that. Anyone who wears a turban, you know, they, they they're 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 a loyal person. You know, they will they will stand for for right things. What are the other symbols that? Sikhs have? Uh, so the kara that they wear on either left or right hand, which symbolizes, um, you know, to do right things, whether it's so when you go reach for something, you kind of look at it and that symbolizes something. Uh, the comb, which are, which are, you know, which is worn by male and females to represent hygiene. And um, the kachera, which is a boxer brief worn by um, men and women, which symbolizes, um, you know, to, to be, uh, you know, sexually... Uh, Proper. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, in in growing up in, in in America, have people confused your turban with that of, say, the Muslim fundamentalist groups? Yeah, that happened a lot um, during um, the. I mean, after nine eleven. So you know, I would go to school. I was in middle school at the time, or, element, or elementary school, mm. and um, you know, little kids. I guess they were very uneducated at the time, and you know, obviously confused me for um, Bin Laden. You know, they call me his you know, his brother, things like that, and you know, it's it's. It's sad, you know. It's but I think it comes down to the education that uh, we receive in schools, and you know, I think they have to kind of force um, some religious education um, into the curriculum, which teaches about different religions across the world. And I think Sikhism is barely a paragraph in the textbook, so I think that needs to change, and it comes down to the miseducation. So, for our listeners um, who are American and maybe might not have have, have seen a um a Muslim or a Sikh, and they see two, both of them together, how would you tell the difference? How can uh, they tell the difference? Sure. So a Sikh will most likely um, have a kara on his right or left hand. It's a steel bracelet. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll, the Sikh man or woman will most likely be wearing a turban. Um, and, you know, I think in, in, the, in, in, in the Islam, uh, um, it, males don't necessarily have to wear turbans. It's a cultural thing. So those are like the main differentiators between Islam and, and Sikhism. Does a turban have to be tied in a particular way? Uh, no, I mean, everyone has their own style, but, you know, it's to, mainly to cover your, your head. Right. Now, give us a background to your story that's given you all this fame. <laughs> sure. So, you know, I was um, 
born and raised in the U.S. in Queens, New York, and um, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I had a a very big interest in serving the community, and that ranged from you know being a police officer to a firefighter. Uh, when I was in middle school and elementary school, and later on when I got to high school, you know, the army recruiters would uh, always, um, you know, come into school and try to recruit kids to, you know, go to boot camp and things like that. So I'd always end up talking to them and having a, you know, fun light conversation. And you know, at the time they told me, you know, don't worry about it, we'll take care of you, this and that. Um, so my summer of my um, sophomore to junior year, I interned with United Six, and um, our our um, our supervisor he would you know come around and ask us so like what do you guys want to do after you guys graduate high school this and that and uh you know i told him you know i want to join the army i want to you know do all these great things and whatnot and he kind of stopped me over there and he said um you know six aren't allowed to join the army over here um because of the religious or the uh, grooming practices that are in place and i kind of looked at him funny and i was like what are you talking about and he said you know there are three sikhs who are serving but they have gotten uh religious accommodations which took a very long time and it was mainly because they had, you know, uh, qualifications as doctors and dentists. So after that, I kind of got shut down, um, and I reached out to one of the um, Sikhs who was in the Army, Captain Ruthen, and um, I got to know him pretty fe- pretty, uh, pretty well, so I've known him now about five, six years, and he's helped me tremendously throughout this journey. And, um, you know, he said, stay strong, and, you know, later on your time will come because you're, you're very young right now. And I said, fine. So um, after I went through high school, I, I went to college, and Hofstra has an ROTC program on campus. So I went there, and, you know, I, I got in touch with the recruiters, and he immediately told me, like, listen, you're not going to be able to join. I'll ask my commanders, but most likely the answer is going to be no. Um, so I asked him uh, to reach to the commander, and, you know, the commander got back to me after three weeks. And he said, listen, it's not going to go through. You know, we're sorry, but, you know, the Army has these practices in place to protect safety and unit cohesion and, you know, morale and all these things. And, you know, I, after that point, I didn't give up. I reached out to United Six, and they essentially just helped me from there on out. You know, they've been fighting this case for a very long time now. And, you know, it's 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 a good victory. It, you know, teachers want to stand up for, for the right thing. Two things come out from your story. One is you're a patriot. Joining the Army means you're prepared to sacrifice your life for this country. What do you love about America that makes you prepared to do so? Uh, so in high school, I took a constitutional law class, and that essentially went deep into how our Constitution was founded. And it was amazing to see about all our founding fathers and how much they sacrificed to 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 let America like flourish, right? So that ranges from our our, our amendments, you know, everything, our our freedom to, to of speech, freedom of religion, our right to bear arms. Every one of those, every one of those, inspires me to serve this nation, and that's mm-hmm. why I want to do what I want to do. You know, when you went and applied and they said you couldn't and then you went to the United States, what, what made you persist? I mean, you could have said, you know what, I might then just go and become a fire officer or, like you said, a police officer. Why did you persist? I think the Army um, is such a vast uh, organization. If, if, if you see a, a person in the Army, you immediately have a, a certain amount of respect for them, right? So f- for me personally, not only having three in the Army didn't do justice. So I was like... I kind of made it my mission at that point. I was like, "Listen, I have to fight this, and you know, even if I lose, I'll, I'll, I'll know that I, I went down without. I mean, with giving a, a very big fight, and you know, with that attitude, you know, I got very far to this point where I've, you know, been able to join ROTC now, and um, yeah. So I just it came down to having that right attitude, which was also, you know, I, I learned a lot about, you know, our religious, our gurus who sacrificed so much, mm. and. Um, 
and that attitude and reading about that just made me not give up, not ever give up. So you really didn't accept your failure? No. Wow. Yeah. So how long did it take you to join? Uh, well, my, right now, about two years, uh, I, I went to my um, recruiter initially in uh, June of 2013, and it's uh, now June of 2015, and, I, and I've gotten in, so about two years. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Anisha. Yes. So in all of this, at what point did you get involved? I got involved right around when we uh, decided it was time to sue the U.S. Army. You know, we had gone for over a year back and forth um, writing uh, legal letters to the ROTC, being rejected time and time again. Um, They were pretty clear that they were not going to budge on their view. Um, And so it came down to the last option of actually going in and suing the U.S. Army um, for an accommodation for ignore, which was a historic decision to even go through with that because it had never been done before. Um, And so thereafter, you know, intense litigation pursued and and we were on that from from the get-go. Myself and my colleague Manmeet Singh uh, both worked on the case um, from start to finish and we're just so happy and grateful that the victory has come our way. What I'm not getting here is we've already got three Sikhs in the army. You would think that they set a precedent. So why is the army fighting a battle that they would lose anyway? Well, I'm not sure what the army's rationale um, was and is Mm. for the decision they made. I mean, I wish I could be a fly on the wall at the Pentagon. (laughs) But now that we have IGNORE added to the growing list of six granted accommodations um, to serve in the ROTC and the military, I hope this makes it clear that Sikhs are fit to serve. Um, You know, the Army officials argued that IGNORE's articles of faith, his beard, long hair, turban would undermine unit cohesion, discipline, readiness, and health and safety. But the court pointed out that the Army has previously accommodated Sikhs and that it has allowed. Yeah, and and they've allowed hundreds of thousands of exemptions to its grooming and uniform regulations, including uh, more than 100,000 exemptions for medically necessary beards. So these practices have not caused any harm to the Army's mission, and I think that's the point here is that neither will ignore this accommodation. I I just don't get it, you know, because we already have three Sikhs. So is this scenario one of racism, prejudice, intolerance, or just ignorance? What was coming out of this when you were in the battle? Again, I'm not sure. I won't speak for the army, but what I will no, but say you can get a sense, think, you can get a sense of what they were fighting about. Right, and I think that's just unit cohesion that, you know, it's that unfamiliarity with the unknown. Um it's not the common um factor to have a beard, to have a turban. It's the worry that what if something goes wrong? Mm. Um and there is that, you know, notion. So our goal was to just point out that, look, we've tried and tested this with three Sikhs. And prior to that, World War One, World War Two, Sikhs have been fighting. Look at all these other countries. It's been successful. It's not of concern. This will be perfectly fine. Um, and all we, ran, all we were asking for is ignore to have an equal opportunity to enroll in the ROTC program, nothing more. And when you made that argument, what was their argument back? That it would be basically, you know, a slippery slope there. Once he joins the ROTC, you know, it would be a matter of, again, unit cohesion, discipline, readiness, health and safety. And so that continued to be the argument and what we were trying to prove would not be an issue. And on what basis did you win then? 
Uh, the court basically ruled that the Army's refusal to allow uh, Ignore to keep his unshorn hair, beard, and turban did violate his rights under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, mm. which is basically designed to protect personal religious expression and practice so long as it does not harm third parties. And what we basically were trying to prove is that there was no harm to a third party or the Army for accommodating Ignore. Um, but that rejecting his request was a clear violation of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Now, when he joins the ROTC, do you think they will be given, he will be given special treatment uh, in a negative way? He might not be able to be given the same tasks as other soldiers. How, how do we handle that situation then? Well, I'll start by saying we don't anticipate that at all. Based on the respect the previous three uh, ex ex uh, you know, individuals who are serving in the Army received, and also based on the respect Ignore has received, you know, he wasn't allowed to formally enroll in ROTC, but they were kind enough to allow him to continue with some of the classes and some of the training on the side, not officially, mm. but just so that he was a part of that. His um, you know, his uh, teammates, his classmates, they were very accommodating. They were rooting him on throughout this case. Um, and, and not to mention that, you know, they have been very accepting of Ignore throughout the situation. So we're pretty confident that that will not happen um, and that uh, they will be fair to, towards him. But this doesn't solve the long-term problem, right? This is a short-term win because if there's another Sikh child that wants to go and join the Army, uh, right. They and have so, to go through the same application process. Right. And so what we hope will come from this is this will, you know, the court did such an amazing job with its arguments and in showing that this violated ignores Religious Freedom Restoration um, you know, Act rights. Mm. And so what we're hoping is that this will set that kind of legal precedent um, in, in when future Sikhs want to apply, the same um, ruling will come and hopefully the Army will see that this is a continuing pattern, and in order to avoid further litigation, hopefully we'll change the policy back uh, you know, to before the 1980s when Sikhs were allowed to serve with their Articles of Faith. Why did it take two years? I think that initially it was all about giving the Army an opportunity to respond and not having to go to court over it. So it was just a lot of back and forth in negotiation and, and writing them letters and trying to make sure that they understood what the religion was, that this was not something we could compromise on. You know, your articles of faith are not something you can give up. Um, and to make the Army really understand that this wasn't a choice, you know, he, he shouldn't have to choose between his faith and his country. And so, you know, back and forth with those letters took almost almost over a year. And so, and then came, you know, the actual um, suing of the U.S. Army in November, uh, which was a six-month process to getting the decision. Did he have to undergo tests like maybe wearing a gas mask or things like that just to make sure that everything would be safe or wearing a helmet or things like that? No, but we've seen that previously with other cases mm. with the three Sikhs that have been given accommodations, and there are actual testings and, and studies out there. You know, if you wear a smaller turban... And if you wrap your beard in a certain way, um, there have never been problems. There have been a ability to have a proper seal of the gas mask to probably properly fit everything. The turban would have a camouflage um, 
cloth so that it it matched the uniform and was still safe in camouflage situations. Uh, so that was already something that we were able to bring in from from previous studies and and precedent. You know, another thing that stepped out of this is, you know, how big of a minority does one need to be in order to get notice, in order to get their fair share of civil rights, right? Um, you know, the Constitution, and this is something that I'm very passionate about because I have been personally serving religious communities for over a decade, but, the you know, the Constitution was built to protect people of all faiths, to allow religious freedom, regardless of the number of people practicing that religion. Mm. Not to mention America is great because of the tangibility of the American dream. Stories like Ignores show the American dream is possible for everyone and shouldn't be limited to the majority. And so as that melting pot country founded on the principles of equality and freedom, I don't think it should matter how many people um, are in that minority to be able to get that fair share of civil rights. You know, in comparison to the gay and lesbian community, it seems the Sikhs have a tougher time getting into the U.S. Army. Isn't that strange? I think that's also a matter of numbers and how much people know. And I think that's our goal as Sikh organizations is mm. to raise that awareness, to raise that education, to make people know. And, you know, thank you so much, Vip, for having us on this show, because this is just another way of people learning more and, and spreading that word of what Sikhism is and how these issues are impacting our, our community. No, that's why when it touched my desk, I was I said in the beginning, it's a mixed bag of emotions. I was happy yet sad. Uh, it was a cause to celebrate, but at the same time, it, it reflected the failure of the system. Because this is not the first time you've had three people go ahead of you. So what's the problem with the fourth one or the fifth one or the sixth? That's what was, uh, you know, sort of very disappointing. And I'm controlling my language here. At what point did you find that you had to get the help from the ACLU? It was um, after a couple of reject, rejection letters um, by the ROTC and the Army. Um, it's around then that we finally sought out um, the help of the um, ACLU um, right before we decided to go ahead and sue. And they've been in a, a trend, tremendous help throughout the entire litigation process. The ACLU team has been with us, and they did a great job uh, for IGNORE. If you had lost the case... What would you have done? It's hard to say. We hadn't gone that far. We no. were hoping for a victory, and then we would have, as a team of attorneys, kind of come together and decided what the next step was, whether it would be to appeal, whether it be, would be some more advocacy. Um, so that's hard to, to answer, but we would have found a way. I mean, we never gave up on Ignore for two years. Um, this was very important to us. We wanted to make sure his career dreams, his American dream, could be fulfilled. And so we would have done whatever was needed um, in the next step in the legal process uh, to, to see what we could do. You know, he mentioned two words, a religious accommodation, I guess which is better, sounds better than a religious exception. But isn't that phrase in itself a little patronizing? I mean, we don't have a color accommodation, do we? We don't have a sexual accommodation. Religious accommodations are a little different because they come with um, exterior, um, I guess, articles mm. that might not be common. And so having a turban in some field of work can seem like an obstacle. 
We've obviously proven in this case that it was not. We've seen Sikhs serve in so many countries' armies and have no issue with the turban. Um, but that is a concern that comes about with certain religious um, gear and, and articles of faith, whether it's the hijab, the turban, um, you know, the beard, or, or even the, you know, kirpan, anything that might be an outside article of faith that might seem like it might come in the way. Why did I not see this story in the mainstream media? It wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, it, it came in a few places, but it wasn't big news. I have no idea. I am not the press, so I, I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, we wish that there would be more coverage because, again, it would add to the educational piece. Mm. You know, the more people who know and, for example, the people listening to your show are now learning, you know, who is a Sikh? What is Sikhism? You know, what what are the struggles, you know, when you're being confused with uh, extreme, uh, Muslim extremists? And, you know, what is the background of the story? What are the struggles that Sikhs go through? I mean, those are important stories that we can only hope that press will pick up and, and people will listen to. And what I found odd was, you know, I was doing some research, and in April of this year, uh, the army allows tattoos. Soldiers can now get their arms, legs, and most of their bodies covered in tattoos if they want. And... I think one of the things you guys had mentioned was that the army objected to was um, that it causes some element of, you know, having a turban or being a Sikh might cause some element of, um, I guess, disruption to the, um, what do you call it, disrupt the uniformity? Mm -hmm. That was their argument? Yes, that or, was one of their arguments. Well, tattoos are no less. They're very noticeable. Right, and so that was... Right, and so that was one of our arguments as well. Look, there are plenty. There are, again, 100,000 exceptions for medically necessary beards. There are thousands of exceptions for tattoos. Um, you know, and we pointed all this out to show that, you know, exceptions have been made, and there are a variety of diverse um, characteristics on all people. And so this is just adding one more for a necessary article of faith. So in all of this, this was a gross... Uh, waste of taxpayers' money, this whole fight. We would definitely wish that it would not have gone to litigation for sure. But we are just so grateful that after all of that, the judge has ruled in our favor. And we are very hopeful that, you know, Ignore's journey is going to just go upward from here. Mm -hmm. And hopefully fellow Sikhs um, who want to join in this American dream will continue to have that success. Now, Ignore, in all of this, have you started your career? I'm actually um, headed to uh, Fort Knox on July 11th for my um, four-week uh, training. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, for cadets who necessarily haven't been in the program for, for the solid two years. They can go to this program for four weeks and, and catch up on all the material they missed out, ranging from you know the um, classroom instruction to the uh, field exercises, uh, first aid training, you name it, and you know, you're know you going to learn it there. So I'm headed to that for four weeks. Um, and, you know, hopefully when I come back, I will contract, and from there on, uh, I'll be, you know, commissioned as an officer two to three years down the road. So will you actually go out in the battlefield? Uh, well, you know, that depends on, on the unit. Various factors come into that, you know, whether you go active duty, National Guard, or Reserve. So, you know, that all comes to play after, after you commission as an officer and, you know, what unit you're assigned to and things like that. And what are your long-term plans? I uh, hope to enter military intelligence and, you know, serve there and hopefully do some intelligence work for, you know, special uh, forces units and things like that and just, you know, hope 
like just you know go on from there and it'll be a definitely a fulfilling career Anisha, in your work as a, as a civil rights lawyer, and, and you do a lot of work for the Sikh community? Yes. I have been working in and out of uh, volunteering for Sikh organizations for almost a decade now. What are you finding the challenges for the Sikh community in America that you're fighting for? What are the most common things? I think uh, number one thing is raising that awareness to... Um, you know, downplay some of the misconceptions. Uh, since 9-11, we've seen uh, a rise in hate crimes, discrimination, bullying across the board. Um, you know, Sikh youth are bullied over 60% of the time um, to the point where we had a case in New Jersey where a Sikh's turban was um, lit on fire at school. Another Sikh girl's hair was cut by her classmate sitting behind her. I mean, these are the kinds of cases we try to lift up. We try to provide assistance to the families um, and the victims of bullying. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to hate crimes, right after 9-11, we had a death um, the day after. We've had so many cases reported to us and all the Sikh organizations about um, different harassment, discrimination, killings, um, including in 2012, the horrific incident in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, where a you know, white supremacist went into a Sikh house of worship and shot six individuals and wounded four others. Um, and, you know, it, you know, with everything going on right now, well, Charleston, I think the Sikh community is having a bit of a deja vu moment um, in that this is a problem that seems to be happening across the board, except when it came to Oak Creek, the coverage was a little bit more silent. So again, we come to how do we lift these problems up and make people realize that there's a silent civil rights movement going on for the Sikh community, especially since 9-11 um, on all of these fronts. So I think that is the, those are the challenges and those are the types of cases and the kind of work that United Sikhs has been working to, to lift up, to work on, and to, to bring forward. What can the Sikhs do better so that these misunderstandings go away? What's interesting about our religion mm. is, um, you know, our gurdwaras leave all four doors open. And, and the point of that is that we welcome everyone. Uh, the Sikh religion is a religion of learning. It means student. And so we are always opening our doors and, and encourage anyone who is not Sikh to come to our gurdwara, learn the scripture, hear what's happening you know, enjoy some of our free longer um, and ask questions. I think you will never approach a Sikh individual who is not willing to answer questions. And no question is a dumb question. I truly believe in that. You know, it's better to ask the questions than to have the ignorance and have the misconceptions, which in the end uh, formulate to the kind of hate that we have seen in this country. But, you know, realistically, people are not going to go to someone else's house of faith. Realistically to get a better understanding of them. Is there something that can be done in the so-called popular culture on, on, you know, on an ordinary basis uh, that Sikhs can give a greater awareness of themselves? Because we all live in one big community. Right, and I think that's something that we have done to some extent, reaching out, having events, um, holding forums, uh, making sure we're present in you know White House and on the Hill uh, events, uh, mm. creating that creating that presence. And I think you know going back to this case, 
having ignore in, in uniform, having, you know, these three Sikhs in uniform with their turbans, these types of things, I think, in the media show they're just as patriotic, just as American. Sikhs are just the same. We're a part of the community. And, and those types of things, I think, will help in the future bring to light the similarities. Ignore, this one's for you. Yeah. In your generation, obviously, you're, you, you, you managed to get in, right? Right. What do you plan to do to change the perception or the misperception in the army once you're there? Do you have any sort of plan of action? Um, I mean, as an officer, you, you are in charge of, you know, multiple soldiers ranging from 30 to 50. So I guess just having your door open to essentially anyone, whether that's someone that's ranking above you or lower you, you know, have your door open and be open to questions, you know. And that that's something as a platoon leader when you when you commission or whatever your position may be in the military, that's something you have to do regardless of what faith you are. You have to leave your door open because at the end of the day, your job as a platoon leader is to take care of your soldiers. So I think being a Sikh uh, adds that responsibility where you have to educate the people around you of your religion so you you don't get mistreated and people don't, you know, misrepresent your who you are. Mm. So it, it's I think being in uniform just by itself is going to have an impact where people will come up to you and ask you questions rather than being in, you know, civilian attire. So do I you think, think do you think they would ask you? Uh, because sometimes some people are scared to ask because they feel ignorant. They are ignorant and they don't want to feel stupid. Uh, yeah, definitely. Is there something I'm, that you could do placing your foot first? Yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a perfect example for that. In, in 20, 2012, I went to a camp in upstate. It's called uh, Boy State of New York. So every state has one across the nation. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's run by the American Legion, which is, you know, a group of ve- or veterans that, you know, do a lot of uh, work for a lot of different things. And it's a, it's a week-long camp, and it was upstate New York, and I went. And um, I was, let alone the only brown person there, but I was only in, only Sikh there, so I was the only one with a turban. And I would say... 98% of the of everyone there were, you know, Caucasian males. So the first thing I did when I went there, I sat everyone down who was in my um, I, it's, uh, city, it was called, and um, I sat everyone down and I told them, listen, you know, I understand you guys might have some misconceptions about me, but I just want to throw it out there that I'm, I'm of the Sikh faith. I'm not Muslim. I'm not Hindu. I'm not any of that. And, you know, if you guys have questions, please feel free to come up and ask me that. And, you know, the first thing when I finished that whole, you know, two to three minute speech was they, they started clapping and they were very happy that I, you know, took the first step to explain who I was and, you know, throw away all those misconceptions that they may have. And, you know, from there on out, it was a very easy, it was a very, it wasn't an easy journey, but it was a very um, relaxed journey where I wouldn't worry about, oh, like, why is this guy, or what is this guy thinking about me? What does he, you know, think that I am? So, you know, they would naturally come up and ask questions about my faith, which was great. You know, I love that. Mm-hmm. What were their misperceptions? Did they ever share that with you? Um, I would not really misconceptions, misconceptions, but they were just they just never heard of Sikhism before, you know. Um, so that that camp essentially brought people from all over New York State, mm-hmm. and I think if you live in New York City, you you most probably have seen a Sikh, but outside of that, upstate New York or you know um, Long Island or very like deep in Long Island, you will not see a Sikh at all. So you know they were just happy to learn about the religion honestly they were very happy to learn about how the Sikh faith or the values of the Sikh faith you know directly coincide with the with American faith or American ideals you know which is to to be hardworking and you know uh, stay selfless also I guess you know another thing is um, for Sikhs to be accepted also people like to also know about the modern-day culture 
Right. Yep. That's you know, true. because if everything is too serious, it doesn't become fun. Is right, there yeah. is there any way that you can give the image uh, that being a Sikh is fun? Um, I, I know we do a lot of parties. Yeah, no. I know we do a lot of bhangra. There's a lot of Bollywood. Yeah. Uh, uh, that always helps and, and sort of is, is sometimes a little more inviting. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I guess just, just invite, just let people come over and learn about your culture, you know, about the langar and about all the, the food and, and everything about that. Explain to our audience what langar is. What's the significance of langar? So langar is served in the Gurdwara, which is a, a free meal which anyone um, can come and eat. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to be of the Sikh faith. Uh, you you know you can come and eat and you know, enjoy the meal free. It's it's essentially free free meals and they're made every day fresh every day and and I know the Golden Temple in Amritsar has serves hundreds and thousands of people a day. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very. But what's uh, the significance of serving people free food every day? Uh, just to it's self for service. It comes back to seva. You know, giving giving back without any anything without receiving anything. So mm -hmm. it comes back down to that. And I, if I could also add, um, you know, one of the fun things that I think a lot of youth are doing these days in their universities is having turban tying days, which has been a huge success across yeah. the globe. Um, you know, so many universities will just host turban tying days out in the yard of their university or their high school and invite non-six to come sit down. We'll mm -hmm. tie a turban on you. Here's a mirror. Check it out. What do you think? Pick a color. You know, which color do you want your turban to be that matches your outfit? And they just have fun with it. And it takes away the scary feeling of this cloth, which is just essentially cloth, but has been portrayed by the media to be something else. So I think that's been a very beneficial and um, active, proactive method to create awareness. Has this successful judgment for you guys, um, th did you guys get a lot of support from the community Why, during the fight? Absolutely. I feel uh, the Sikh community has been wonderful. Mm. They've, everybody has been uh, unified on this. Everyone has given their blessings throughout. I'm sure Ignor can speak on the many aunties and uncles and families sure. that have come to him and given their blessings and saying, you know, good luck. We're rooting for you. This is huge for our, for our community, and we commend your courageousness. Wow. And Ignor, what are you going to do with all your fame now? Uh, I, I mean, I, there's nothing to do, I guess. It was, I guess I just... Well, you could be my... doing a Bollywood movie. You could write a book. <laughs> <laughs> no, may, maybe a book later later on down my career, maybe. You could maybe. go on the speech circuit. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't mind that. I, I like, I like uh, you know, talking to people and socializing, you know, and getting their point of views on things, so I definitely don't mind that. Did the university have any issue with you when, when they knew that you were sort of in some sort of litigation with the government? Um, I... I don't. My Hofstra University in, in general, they I think they came out and in, in support. You know, we we support Ignor's dream to you know pursue his passion and his dream to join the army. Mm. Um, but my immediate commanders of you know in RTC, they they really didn't couldn't say anything because I'm sure they had orders from you know higher commanders. You know, just to, to keep quiet and you know let this whole thing play out and see where it goes. Um, but you know, they didn't really say anything. But you know, I'm sure. I mean, I've spent about two years now. Uh, with my cadre, and you know they've they've learned to you know get to know me very well, and you know they they treat me like anyone else. They have no problem with me uh, wanting to serve, and you know when everyone's doing push-ups, I do push-ups. They they scream at me at you know when I do something wrong, or you know they scream at everyone else when they do something wrong. So I get no treated no differently than anyone else. So it's just like being at home then. 
Yeah, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> Do you find that your higher-ups might be a little wary of you because if they don't treat you right, you're going to call Anisha? No, I don't I don't think that and you know, there's something I've experienced for two years so I have I have, you know, a lot of confidence and faith in my cadre that they're gonna always, you know, look out for me to do the right thing and give me the best training that that's possible. And have you seen any increase in the interest from the young Sikhs who wanna join the army now based on your success? Um, nothing yet, but I'm sure uh that's gonna come and you know, I'm nonetheless I'm excited to tell these the, the youth you know to, to go out and follow your dreams and you know never go, give up which is you know the main thing that I told myself when I was in this fight and you know when you're kind of running out of faith you kind of take a step back and you know realize what you why you're doing it mm. and that's you know the main thing that I told myself you know you have to fight this don't give up and you know two years down the line I'm you know I, I I'm, I'm able to join now well wow. and Anisha we actually, I was just going to add to what he's saying, you know, we just recently had a South Asian Americans Leading Together Summit here in D.C., mm. and, you know, I had Ignore go on a panel and speak on this because to me it's just the most amazing story, right? Um, a kid born here in the United States in his upbringing, having American friends, having the same problems, oh, hate school, my parents are being hard on me, the same thing everybody else is dealing with at that age, but then having a group of kids who bullied him, you know, like I said, vast majority of Sikh youth are bullied. Um, but then not taking that and, and t into a negative place, but utilizing that to further his dream to join the Army, utilizing that strength that he gained from that to have the courage to go through with this litigation. You know, throughout the litigation, there were some negative comments online posted with every article showing, you know, people saying, this is crazy, go back to your country, you don't belong here, nobody should ever, you know, uh, question the army, you know, things along those lines. But he, you know, kept his cool because that's the kind of person he is. And I think that that story is very inspirational. And we we want to make sure we can lift it up as much as possible. It is a very inspirational story. And it is an amazing story, but it's also a ridiculous one from the other side, you know. Um, for the U.S. Army uh, to refuse, I, I just don't get it. Even to this day, that someone there decided, you know what, we're not going to allow him in, despite having three people in. I would love to. I mean, I don't know if the audience knows what the interesting history is here, but you know, more than 60 or so years ago, President Truman desegregated the armed forces, and he declared there shall be no equality. There shall be equality of treatment and opportunity for all persons in the armed forces without regard to religion, color, race, etc. Um, it wasn't until 1981 when that was changed with the chief of staff of the Army who eliminated that exception and uh, wasn't allowing those with conspicuous items of fate to serve any longer. So, you know, the U.S. Armed Forces started 60 years ago with that declaration for equality regardless of your religion. Well, that's my point then. Absolutely. So, you know, when I mentioned about is it a case of racism, prejudice, um, intolerance or ignorance, um, it seems to border on ignorance and intolerance. Someone didn't know what Truman said and someone doesn't want Sikhs in. Because you know, and I know for a fact, I'm not a lawyer, but I know had I done this, I would not stand a chance of winning. Absolutely not. 
bearing in mind the Constitution, bearing in mind that America prides itself on diversity, bearing in mind that I've got three Sikhs already in, um, what's my excuse for not having Iknur in? You don't have to be a lawyer to figure that out. And so I think that's why this litigation was necessary, to finally have it in the books as a legal precedent that this is the ruling. These are the claims that the court is making and that this does violate his rights under RIFRA. Um, and so now that we have that in the books, hopefully that will be made more clearly for future Sikhs who want to serve. But does this mean, does this ruling mean that now all Sikhs can apply without the hassle and does that mean no. you're out of a job now because they won't need you to fight for them? <laughs> no, unfortunately, that is not what that means. Uh, for now, so we're back to square one. To, we're not back to square one at all, at all. Mm. This victory has shown that the court agrees with ignore. The court agrees that articles of faith need to be permitted. Okay. And so, in the future, if there is a Sikh that has, is in the same exact boat and we go to the army looking at this precedent, they should accommodate. If not, going to court again would be the same same arguments and another victory, we would hope. Um, not to mention that in April, you know, while all this litigation was going on, the U.S. Army released new rules that it would make it easier for observant Sikhs to request religious accommodations for their articles of faith. Prior to that, they were forcing the turbans and beards to be removed in the interim while you waited for the accommodation request to be considered, which was a silly catch-22. So, you know, there was that improvement in their policy where at least while you're waiting for the accommodation to happen, mm. you can keep your articles of faith. Um, and that's something, you know, because of this litigation, because of Ignora's case, that that's what was happening. So we're hopeful that, you know, as things continue with this case and with this victory, more policies will change and things will become where we need it to be, to be equal to everyone. Okay. And that's a wonderful answer. But at the end of the day, if the army still has the right to say no, assuming that everything else is as good as any other soldier, but the next guy who comes along, they still have the right to say no, and then they're still willing to go through the court process. That could happen. That and then we happen. would go through, you know, then we would take it, we would figure out what we need to do, and mm. if we need to take it to court, we would do that. Um, but based on this judge's decision, we're confident that, you know, the, the argument is clear. His rights, were, his rights were violated, and there is no third-party harm. Right. Wow. Um, Iknur, you happy? Oh, yeah, of course. I'm very excited. You know, this is something I've been fighting for over two years, and it's something I've been wanting to do since I was, like, 14. So to come to this point where, you know, I got the call on, you know, last Friday, and, you know, she told me we won – uh, you know, I knew from there that, you know, a new chapter in my life was going to start, you know, a very happy chapter. You know, it's going to be definitely full of struggles, you know, and a lot of obstacles uh, more to come. But, you know, I'm nonetheless excited to, to get the training and go out and train with my my battalion and, you know, just do good for the community and my country. Well, on that new chapter, I want you to go out and do America proud, my friend. Definitely. And on that note, I'd like to say, why Guruji ke Khalsa, why Guruji ki Fateh? Joe Bole Sonehal. That's your call. That's right. What does that mean? Uh, Nisha, you wanna you wanna take that one? Sure. Uh, yeah. So the literal translation of mm. Vaigraji Ka Khalsa, Vaigraji Ki Fateh is "Hail the Khalsa who belongs to the Lord God, 
hail the Lord God to whom belongs the victory. And what that means is if we become poor, uh, pure and we become Khalsa, then any victory we attain is a victory of God's. Um, and when it comes to Bole Soniha Sastriyakal, it's a Sikh slogan that literally is a shout of victory. It's divided into two parts. Um, the first, Bole Soniha, is a statement meaning, whoever utters the following phrase shall be happy and fulfilled. And the second part, Sastriyakal, is eternal is the holy, great, timeless Lord. Well, thank you both. Wishing you all the best and God bless. Thank right. you very much for having us, Vip. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. A special shout-out of thanks to my dream team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. Your comments and your followers so very welcome on my Twitter account and my Facebook page. And I wish you and your loved ones a fabulous evening. And until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.